0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. We're going to transition. We're going to continue together in worship. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, specifically John chapter 10. While you're turning there, I want to try to set the stage. It was San Antonio. It was the 70s. I was wearing short shorts and had long hair. It was an amazing time. I was in a bus station in San Antonio, Texas, and all the way across the terminal, which was packed full of people, there was a vending machine. And that vending machine had something that I desperately needed. Bugles. Because, I mean... All those wonderfully empty white carbohydrates were calling to my name, and I had 35 cents in my pocket that I had found from some guy who was passed out on the side of the wall. And I was going to spend those 35 cents on little bugles, and so I walked over to the bugles, and I put my money in, and I got those bugles, and I tore into those bugles, and I was eating those bugles like it was my job. And it's at that point that I realized I had no idea where I was. Totally... Totally lost didn't know where my mom and dad had been we were on a bus trip uh, when you could still take a Greyhound bus and uh, All the way from the Panhandle down to Monterey, Mexico There's only about 48 stops in between so it was a nice 22-hour voyage You need bugles take my word for that But I was over there munching on my bugles and I didn't know where they were and I got lost and people Got coming into the terminal and more people left and more people came in more people left and I started to think I'm lost they may have gotten on a bus and left, and they don't even know that I'm gone. They don't even recognize that I'm not here. And I started to panic until, <laughs> again, I'm going to reiterate, this was back in the late 70s, until I heard that voice. My dad, in his brown Santa Belt slacks, <laughs> carrying his lit pipe, of course, because you could do that back then, and so he had that deep smoker's voice. He just said, Eric. And it was like, above the clamor and above the fray, I heard my dad, and I went directly to him. Suddenly, not another voice in the entire tumult seemed to matter at all. I just heard his, and he was not panicked in the least. He had seen me the entire time, and he had seen that I was panicked. Well part of the reason I was able to find him sets us up for our big idea for our passage this morning. And it goes like this. I had already known my father and so I didn't have to do this, but for the rest of us, we get to learn his voice. That's what we're after in this passage in John chapter 10. Now, let me remind you, we've been studying the gospel of John for many months now. And for the last several weeks, we have been in John chapters 7 through 10. Because 7 through 10 is one very large setting. It all takes place in Jerusalem. You would never change the scenery and the backdrop for these four chapters. It's a very lengthy process. Jesus has shown up in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. It is at high, high tension, high population in the city. And he has announced himself. It has been his coming out party as John has described it. He has described himself as the provision from God, the bread of life. He is the water from heaven. He is the sustainer of life. He is the one who will give the river maker. He is the light of the world. My goodness, what else can this Jesus say to make us understand that he is God of God? And that is the point because John has written his entire gospel so that you and I will believe so that we will believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now then, I'm going to begin reading in John chapter 10, and we'll talk about this and see how far we can get. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is speaking and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, I have to pause and make sure that we have an appropriate on-ramp here. There is no break whatsoever between chapter nine and chapter 10. I know that in your Bible there's a, there's a 10 there, but there should not be. Chapters seven, eight, nine, and 10 is one long narrative. About 500 years ago, we put chapter markers in to make it easier to navigate. But what happens in chapter nine is thematically attached to chapter 10. And we have to know that because I have seen many a good person unintentionally take some little snippets out of chapter 10 and misapply them out of context. But chapter 10 is in direct response to what's happened at the end of chapter 9. In chapter 9, we have been told that Jesus is the light of the world. And to evidence that and to demonstrate that, Jesus heals a blind man. And because of Jesus' involvement and engagement in this man's life, he now senses his world differently. Not only that, he looks differently to other people. And because of that, the authorities, the leaders, the Pharisees, they reject this and they cast him out. Jesus won't have it. He goes and finds the one that has been cast out. And he says to this one, you were blind, but now you see. The Pharisees overhear this and they say, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you saying? Are we blind? And Jesus actually says something surprising. He says, actually, because you think you can see, you are blind. It's knowing that you're blind is what enables you to see. And then he continues to explain. So chapter 10 is merely Jesus explaining everything that he did in chapter 9. We have to know that. There is no break in the narrative. So again, chapter 10, Jesus is now going to address the Pharisees. Chapter 10 is Jesus' last public teaching. We're only halfway through the gospel. It's his last public teaching by the time they get through chapter 10. After that, he's only going to be with his disciples in little bitty pockets at a time. This is his last public declaration. So again, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, and we've talked about this already, but anytime Jesus says this, it means you are accountable to his words. You have no excuse. It has been uttered. You have understood. Truly, truly, I say to you. He who does not enter the shepherd fold by the door but climbs in by another way that man is a thief and a robber. Okay, cuz I I thought we were talking about a blind guy. Why are we now talking about thieves and robbers? Well, Jesus cleverly is using metaphor and image that everybody in the ancient near east, especially in Israel and Jerusalem would have understood. We have pictures of what shepherding is all about and we put on bathrobes at Christmas and all these kinds of things, but shepherding was an industry that everybody in Jerusalem would have understood. There were communal sheepfolds, sometimes either just low little stone walls or wooden branches walls, where multiple families, multiple families would keep all of their sheep in there together, and they would hire an under-shepherd, usually a young boy, and he would stand at the gate to make sure that no wild animals came in and to make sure that no sheep got out. And anyone who came to the sheepfold and tried to hop the wall were doing so for no good reason. That's not how shepherds who know and love their sheep enter. The shepherd comes in through the door and the gatekeeper is aware of the shepherd because in reality, in this image, the gatekeeper is probably the little brother or a cousin and he knows all of his uncles or his bigger brothers or his father or whomever else might be coming in from the community. So Jesus is going to say something, but chapter 10 is all about Jesus's commentary on those who would allow this little blind lamb to be cast out. It's gonna be Jesus's commentary on the leadership of Israel. So he says there and get in verse one, But anyone who climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There's no need to be surreptitious. There's no need to be devious. There's no need to try to grease the palm or bribe anybody. You go straight through the door because you're the shepherd. You belong there. So Jesus is making commentary about himself as well. Verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. Now, books and books and books have been written about this. Who's the gatekeeper? He's probably the brother-in-law of the innkeeper from Luke 2. We don't know. Not in the story. He doesn't have a name. It's not important he's a flat character. People say, well, it's clearly John the Baptist because he went before Jesus. Okay, maybe. Well, surely it's Elijah come back to say. Maybe, probably not. I don't know. Maybe it's, I think it's just, maybe it's God himself. Okay, great. We're not told. We don't want to make more of the text than what the text says. Jesus is telling a story here. To him, the gatekeeper opens, to the true shepherd, because the gatekeeper knows the shepherd. So in that sense, I think metaphorically, it does not make sense that it's God himself. The sheep hear his voice the sheep hear his voice not the voice of another shepherd interestingly and i've seen this time and time again when we've had the opportunity to be in israel if we're going along in one of the buses along some of the highways there in israel or in jordan or in egypt You can pull over and you'll see different shepherds with their flocks and we'll get the group together and we'll say, now watch this, and we'll have this shepherd make his call and all of the sheep will respond and they'll go to that shepherd. But all of the other sheep will completely ignore him. It's an amazing thing. They literally know the voice and the call of their shepherd. Now, John chapter 10, verse 3 is absolutely enormous. Very important verse. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. I cannot make a big enough deal about that one sentence. He calls his own by name. In other words, when he calls them, they are already his. Let me, let me, let me just flog this dead sheep one more time. When he calls them, they are already his. It's not like he goes out and whistles and whosoever will come just comes a running. No, no, no. They respond to his voice because they are already his and he knows them intimately and individually. They are his. And literally in in Israel, even today, if a shepherd has a flock of 200 sheep, they will literally each have a name. He knows them. Dave, Smiley, Lucky, Shorty, Fluffy, Dummy, whatever, they all have names. They are known. And you know the story from Luke 14. If one of those sheep runs off, the shepherd will stop everything and go and get them because he knows that sheep it is a relationship that sheep represents not just a little life that sheep represents wool it represents offspring in years to come it represents uh, potentially sacrifice it represents milk and cheese and dairy product that little sheep means a great deal to the shepherd Now, it's at this point that I also need to say that sheep are an amazing, amazing creature. In all of creation, sheep are the only symbiotic life form that we have. Let me explain. Sheep are the only animal that are 100% reliant on another species for survival. If you have a house cat or a dog and you let that animal go, that animal will run free for a while and if it can avoid getting hit by a Buick, it's gonna survive and it's gonna find its way in the world and it'll ultimately turn wild, but it's going to live. It's gonna find food somehow. If you have a horse and you let that horse run free, ultimately it's gonna return to its nature and it's gonna go wild. Any other animal will find a way and it will survive, but a sheep is utterly incapable of survival on its own. If you turn a sheep loose, it will literally stand there in a pasture of green grass and not eat. It will simply die. It has no defense. It'll eat a poison bush. It'll walk right off of a cliff, which has led many people to say an error that sheep are dumb. They are not. They're actually very clever. They are, however, dependent. Yeah. All the difference in the world. They are dependent. They are not dumb. And when Jesus says the good shepherd calls, they listen and they come. And so it's been said the most vulnerable, defenseless animal on the planet is a sheep. And the strongest, safest animal on the planet is a sheep. Because if a sheep is with a shepherd, they are invincible. And this is good to know. So when Jesus says he calls his own by name, he's telling them something. This little lamb that you don't know, that you didn't care about, and now you have cast out, he's mine. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about Jesus, but hear this. Jesus, if you are his, feels that way about you. You are his. He is crazy about you, knows you by name, knows you better than you, and no, he knows that you are a sheep. He doesn't expect you to be a horse or a mule or a tiger or anything else. He knows that you are a sheep, and he's thrilled That you are a sheep well verse 3 he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out this is brilliant john is so clever under the inspiration of the holy spirit this is a direct reference to numbers chapter 27 i know you read numbers 27 devotionally all the time so i'm just going to say it anyway i know you know numbers 27 is where moses is praying to god for israel moses is praying for the next shepherd of israel who will lead them out so that they will not be a flock without a shepherd And we know from number 27 that that shepherd to follow Moses is named Joshua, which is the Hebrew name of Yeshua, Jesus. It's the same name. John is saying, this is that. What Moses was promising, what Moses was praying for, it's him, it's this. He's here and he leads them out. It's not just, well, you know, he, he does a thing, but he leads them out just like the shepherd of Israel is intended to do. Verse four. When he has brought out all his own, all of them, all of them, Romans 8, 29 to 30, all whom he calls, he predestines, those whom he predestines, he justifies. If you get called, you get justified. That is, you get declared righteous. Every single one, not a one slips past the goalie. If you are called, you are justified. That's very, very good news. When he had brought out all his own, he goes before them. See, shepherds don't drive their sheep like cattlemen drive their herds. You go before them. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. It's an amazing thing to watch a shepherd in the ancient Near East, even to this day. They are a bloody, battered, and bruised brood. The shepherds go before, and as they encounter thorns and thistles and brambles, they themselves get in there, and they cut them up, and they move them to the side because the sheep, unawares, will walk straight into harm's way. And so the shepherd goes in front, and he takes the rip. He takes the thump. And if they encounter a wild animal, a lion, a mountain goat, I mean a a mountain lion, or a hyena, or a bear, whatever it might be, the shepherd faces it down and deals with it and might suffer personal injury himself. A snake or perhaps a falling piece of earth, the shepherd goes in front and he gets beaten, he gets bloodied, he gets battered, he gets bruised. Does this sound familiar? It's intended to because your shepherd goes before and takes the hits that you and I will never have to experience. Jesus is setting the subject. to go, listen, this is what a shepherd is supposed to do. And I think blind Billy is still standing right next to him going, oh man, fingers are so cool. Clouds are so fluffy, who knew? And the Pharisees are frustrated and they're irritated and Jesus is trying to explain, he was one of yours and you didn't care. And he doesn't know your voice and you don't even know his name. Well, verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. When you are called by your name, when you are his and he calls, the siren song of anything else will cause dissonance and doom in your heart. I can remember as a younger man thinking, I've grown up in church, but there's got to be something else. There's got to be multiple paths up the mountain. And I began listening to the voices of other shepherds saying, come walk this way. This is the way to truth and happiness. And every time I would take about a step and a half and go, wait a minute, this sounds, this sounds really bad. This sounds really dangerous. I'm not trying to be moralistic here, but whoa, this is, this, is, this is death waiting to happen. And I would flee from those voices because they were not the voice of my shepherd. And praise be to God. Early on in my adulthood, I simply heard the voice of Jesus said, Are you done? You you finished? Is that enough? What took you so long? And he wasn't disappointed. And He wasn't angry. He knows that I'm a sheep. And he couldn't wait to have me back. Now, what's interesting about this Jesus is what follows in verse 6. This is John's commentary. This figure of speech, it's sort of like this uh, parabola, kind of like the parables that Jesus will tell in the other gospels. John will not ever use that word. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. See, every time Jesus is going to speak, people will divide. There's no middle ground, there's no gray, there's no riding the fence with Jesus. He's going to say what he says so that those who are his, who are called according to his name, they will hear it and they'll go, oh man, that's, that's my shepherd. That's the one who loves me, who is good, who is strong. And the rest will say, I reject it. I will not hear that. Jesus will not leave you high-centered. He makes you divide. Now, I need to do something that I don't usually do. I need to go on a little bit of a field trip. Because you cannot understand what's happening in John 10, I would contend, unless you understand what's happening in the book of Ezekiel. So if you've got your Bibles, leave your appendage there in John chapter 10. I'm going to ask you to go back to Ezekiel 34. Because the reason John 10 is in the Bible is because Ezekiel 34 is in the Bible. And we have to understand what Jesus is doing and saying before we just rush off and take some of these verses out of context and make bumper stickers out of them. Ezekiel chapter 34, I'm just going to read this. This is God's word. It bears our hearing because it is the thing that, God, that Jesus is responding to and that John is letting us know about. So Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34 is five and a half centuries before the time of Jesus. Okay, Five and a half centuries. Israel is in exile in Babylon. Ezekiel writes from the Kabar River. And the people have been smashed and they have been scattered. And so in Ezekiel chapter 34, I'll read through this very briefly. Ezekiel says this, The word of the Lord came to me. God spoke to me. And this is what God said. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel. The teachers, those pretender messiahs, those who would lead the people into harm's way, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Yahweh Adonai. It's as strong as we get. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed. Keep in mind, John 1 says that this Jesus is the Word. And as Jesus is having this conversation with the alleged supposed shepherds of Israel, here stands blind Billy, who was ignored, discarded, irrelevant to the shepherds of Israel. Verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have, not brought, you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they, come, they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over the mountains, and on every high hill my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Can you hear the heart of a father? of a shepherd grieving for his sheep, his, his children, scattered and splattered. Therefore, verse 7, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but because the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. Oh, that's not a good, mm -mm, that's not good. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. This ought to give you a reaction as you know what's coming in John 10. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep and have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Oh, this gets good, y'all. Stick with me. Verse 13, And I will bring them out from a peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed in the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I'm so glad it's the fat and the strong. Can I just get an amen there? I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. I see it all. I know you think that I'm distant and disinterested. I am not. I am active. I know. I see and I care. Please hear that again. He knows, he sees, he cares. We'll circle back on that in a moment. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet and rest your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet and must my sheep eat when you have trodden with your feet and drink with what you have muddied with your feet again against the shepherds verse 20 therefore says the lord god to them behold i i myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with side and shoulder and thrust all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. What? David was 500 years earlier. What? What are we talking about? Well, he, he's going to be explaining. There will be one who is God, who is in the personality of David, the king of Israel. Oh, this gets good. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Very quickly, verse 25. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so they may, they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them all the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord, when I break the bars of their yoke, and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you, listen, Ezekiel 34, 31, and you are my sheep. And just to make sure we get it, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. These people were in anguish. They had suffered. They were splattered, scattered, and smattered. And yet, God says, I hear, I see, and I know. I myself will be your shepherd. I will be the prince among you. (laughs) John chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. You want entrance? You want access? It's me. We'll hear this again in chapter 14. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. I am the door. He's going to mix metaphors. That's okay. Jesus is bigger than grammar. He can do that. I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, all of the false shepherds of Israel. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. See, it's not enough just to be saved. It's about living life abundantly now. If you stay in the enclosure, you die. Jesus doesn't want you to just come. He wants you to go and for him to be with you. That's the life abundant that he promises. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Very popular verse on letter jackets and bumper stickers. Usually people are assuming that's talking about the devil. It's not. Talking about religion. False leaders in religious construct who lead people astray. who who caused them great harm now just in case you're keeping score at home so far jesus has called them mm, not jews ishmaelites um, sons of the devil uh, again not jews they don't know god they don't love god and uh now they're thieves and robbers and wolves and then he passed the plate no he didn't he didn't do that verse 11 i am the good shepherd and in the mind of God, in the mind of Jesus, in the mind of John, Ezekiel 34 is jumping off the page. I know, I see, I have come, and I am bringing together for myself a people. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But hold on a second. Wait a minute. If the shepherd dies, then the sheep are vulnerable. No shepherd in Israel wants to go and commit suicide because then the sheep are going to be left without a shepherd. Oh, no. Well, good news. Good news. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. But I'm not a wolf like these standing around. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I'll lay down my life for the sheep. I go before I get battered and bruised and beaten and bloodied. I do this not out of compulsion, not out of force, because I love them so much. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. What? That's what Ezekiel could not fully see and appreciate. Ezekiel's talking to Israel, but John writes that Jesus says, yes, and you thought it was just for Israel? It's not. It's for the whole world. It's even for the Gentiles. Yes, I have sheep from that fold as well verse 16 that are not of this fold i must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock one shepherd oh it's beautiful for this reason the father loves me because i lay down my life that i may take it up again (laughs) if you lay down your life and die well that means you're dead unless you're god and then you can undead yourself Nobody else can do that. Several people died, were raised to walk in newness of life by Jesus as a sign, as a wonder. And then, surprise, Lazarus, you get to die again. But that was done to Lazarus. Jesus, I lay it down, I take it up again. You are either God or you are insane. If you can undead your deadness, only one's ever been able to do that. Verse 18, no one takes it from me. Jesus is not a victim of history. He's not the the result of a conspiracy. It has been his plan all along to experience death for the sake of the sheep. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Guess what? We have division. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, see the division? No middle ground. These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of of the blind blind Billy still standing there going dude the sun is round who knew what round was that's amazing Jesus is the good shepherd and we are to learn his voice I just want to give three super quick implications of this passage and then we will as one flock with one shepherd we will enjoy and take communion together but just very briefly three quick implications Number one goes like this, and I want this to be as practical and piercing and penetrating as it can possibly be. It goes like this. If you don't know you're a sheep, you can't hear the shepherd. <laughs> you, you may still be thinking, oh, I'm a tiger. <makes noise> Good. That's great. That, that, I mean, we're Americans. We're the most capable people in history. We can do anything. I'm not a sheep. I'm not dependent. I have skills. I have strength. Listen, I don't need a shepherd. I'm an American. I just need a consultant. Every now and then, Jesus, would you just sort of show up and be like, turn left. Okay, I got it, thank you. I'll, I'll take it from here. I have a smartphone. <laughs> but if all you want is a consultant, you will find a very quiet Jesus. Because he's not. If you don't know that you are a sheep, that you are defenseless, that you are dependent, that you are blind, you are powerless, then you, you can't hear the shepherd. And you may be wondering, gosh, I go through my life and I just don't ever seem to be aware. I'm not, I don't know how to practice his presence. I don't know. Learn his voice. Let me say it a little bit more strongly. It's point number two. A sheep without a shepherd is a meal. So whether or not you know that you're a sheep, you're a sheep because Ezekiel 34 says, you are my human sheep. And a sheep without a shepherd is a meal. Tasty indeed, Mm little mutton with mint on there it's delicious okay you are in danger you might think you're a tiger a shepherd without or a sheep without a shepherd is a meal you are vulnerable to every other voice and whisper that comes along that says walk this way walk this way and you can't help it you do it but instead we are made for symbiosis, our lives attached to his. And when we do that, that's when we actually discover that there is life, there is freedom, there is power, there is joy, there is peace. But trying to be an independent sheep is like trying to be a snack cake. You can do it. You're going to be tasty. The shepherd knows you better than yourself, and he knows that you're a sheep and he wants nothing more than to transform you increasingly into his likeness. And let me say it again, the shepherd is not disappointed with your sheepness. He doesn't thwack his palm in the forehead and go, oy, why isn't that one a grizzly bear, come on. No, I love that sheep and he's got plenty of strength to go around. Third point, third point. you're either in the word or you're with a wolf. That's what Jesus says. You're either in the word or you're with a wolf. You're learning his voice in his written word because he is the living word. And James tells us that he is engraved, inscribed his word on our hearts. And when we come to God's word, it reads us. And the spirit of God takes God's word as the people of God and it does something to us. You are listening and learning his voice or you are with a wolf. And let me just say, all of the things that sound really good on TV is wolfy. All of the thoughts that come into your own head, apart from God's word, are wolfy. You can't even trust your own little sheepy brain, and neither can I. I got all kinds of stuff happening there. If you put it on screen, we would have to shut this place down. (laughs) You are either in the word, learning his voice, or you are with a wolf. Why can't I hear his voice? But I don't know, maybe it's because you're listening to talk radio all day long. And you find that you get home and you're just angry and you're kicking cats and you're just mad your blood pressure's a smooth 320 over 280. I don't know why I'm so mad. Hmm. You're either in the word or with a wolf. So this morning, let me just say, do you know the voice of the shepherd? Do you think he's your shepherd? Or do you think this Jesus is a pretty good guy? Man, you'd kind of like to hang out with him one of these days. No. I invite you to believe. If right now you're thinking, gosh, I would like to believe that. I want to believe that. I don't understand it all. And that means the shepherd is calling. And you're beginning to learn his voice. Or perhaps you're sitting there going, absolutely not. I'm going to do this all by myself. We say to you, God bless you. For the rest of you who are believers... We are here as one flock with one shepherd. And this Jesus was a bruised, bloodied, battered shepherd who went before us because there's no way I can get through the brambles of God's holiness. It's not like the enemy is the devil or the enemy is the false teachers. Man, it is the holiness of God. And I need a shepherd to face all of his wrath and judgment or I am toast. So we get to celebrate communion as a commemoration of what our good shepherd has done for this flock. So those who are going to serve, I'm going to invite you to come on up right now. We're going to pass these elements, if you would please hold them to the end. You're going to receive grace from somebody who needs it, and then you're going to give grace to somebody who needs it. If you're not a believer, I'm going to ask you to just hold on to, the, uh, to, hold on to not take the elements, to just observe as we celebrate that which our God and King and Savior has done for us. Take this time to to pray somberly, seriously, and yet joyfully about what this shepherd has done for you, for me, and for us. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll pass these elements. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for who you are, for what you have done, that we get to celebrate, we get to consider what our shepherd has done for us. Father, if there is one this morning, if there are many this morning who don't know you, would you move irresistibly right now and call their name, that they would hear you and they would respond.